0: Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger, and this is Small Biz Pod on Friday, the 2nd of October. Well, as always, another great podcast coming up. Need I say more? For those of you that are new listeners, thanks ever so much for tuning in. Do spread the word. And uh, Small Biz Pod, as you know, is really about giving you insight, inspiration, and those pearls of wisdom that you just can't find anywhere else from interviews with successful entrepreneurs where I pick their brains and uh, have a good chat. And I hope it's entertaining as well as an informative along the way. So in today's episode, I have an extraordinary entrepreneur uh, from a, a very niche sector, and he uh, he's invented something which can best be described as a fish gym. More of that later. I've also got um, a really, really classic track at the end of this, which is, uh, is one for all of you prevaricating, procrastinating entrepreneurs out there or, or wannabe entrepreneurs, so stay tuned for that too. Other than that, I'd like to say a really, really, really big thank you to Small Biz Pod's two sponsors. Uh, First of all, XLN Telecom, who are specialists in telecoms and broadband for UK small businesses. and They really, really are offering some fantastic deals. Um, So if you're looking to save money on your telecoms, XLN Telecom is the place to go. Just click on one of the banners on the website and uh, explore what they've got to offer because they've got to offer a lot. But they're also really, really, really focused on customer service. And as uh, many of us know, it's not always the best part of uh, your telecom provider, <laughs> uh, the customer service elements. Uh, but excellent telecom really break the mould, so do check them out. And of course, uh, audible.com. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring Small Biz Pod. And as a special offer to all Small Biz Pod listeners, you can download a free audiobook. Just sign up for a, a free trial subscription. You can always cancel it if you don't like it, but I am sure once you get into audiobooks, you will like it. And uh, so head over to smallbizpod.co.uk, click on one of the Audible banners, or go straight to www.audible.co.uk forward slash smallbizpod to claim your free audiobook. And they've got a fantastic selection there. So I'm sure you will find something you love. Okay, then, straight into the interview with Sunil Kadri of Optoswim, who comes uh, fresh from a victory in the O2X Awards as the best male entrepreneur. Okay, Uh, well this week on Small Biz Pod, um, we're looking at a very interesting entrepreneur, not a name that I'm familiar with, although his industry is uh, quite specialist, but what is uh, as interesting is the fact that he is one of those business people who has come out of uh, a university, uh, a university, out of a university research project and the business is, in essence, a kind of gym for fish. <laughs> but we'll, we'll look into that in more detail. So, um, Sunil Kadri, uh, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Thank you, nice to be here. Now, um, you're, you're fresh from winning Best Male Entrepreneur at the O2X Awards, how was the party last night? The party last night was fantastic, beyond my expectations, particularly
1: because I won and I didn't <laughs> expect that at all. The, the judging panel worked quite hard on me for my financial projections implying that they were too modest. Okay. And so I thought I was just along for the fun of the evening, not to, to take away a prize. So it was a great evening, a okay. great surprise. Okay. Tell us, fish gyms, to Swim, what is it? Um, it's a system for exercising fish in uh, fish cages, fish farms. Basically, there's been research done years ago, not by ourselves, um, sh- demonstrating the benefits of exercise for fish and how this could be beneficial for fish farms. That research was done in tanks where you can pump water around and alter swimming speed that way. Um, The thing is that most of the valuable fish are in cages in the sea where you can't pump water around. And so bringing the benefits of exercise to cages is much more challenging, except if you put them in a high current, a site with high currents. So um, we came up with an idea um, and a method by which to stimulate swimming in cages.
0: And it, it, it's quite an interesting, it's kind of involves flashing lights, LEDs. It's, it's almost like a kind of um, disco box. <laughs> Something like that,
1: yeah, yeah. Some people have called it a fish disco ball. Basically, um, there's a thing called the optomotor response, which you'll have experienced when you're sitting on a train, when you came today on the train. Um, your train stationary in a station, and the train beside you starts moving, and you get that feeling of movement. That's called the optomotor response. We use it for balance. Mm-hmm. Um, all animals have it in some shape or form, but schooling species, schooling fish have it. and It's very, very strong in them, so you can elicit the optomotor response and actually get them to swim. And so what we do is, um, so my business partner, I should say, is uh, Neil Herbert, mm. who, uh, he's a visual physiologist, fish visual physiologist, I'm a fish behaviorist. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: he had been using a system to test vision in fish that actually stimulated them to swim with um, a mechanical system of moving moving black and white stripes, and um, came up with the idea of using this to to create exercise. The only thing was when somebody sent him to see me was that great idea but not going to work in cages because it's a big mechanical thing. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, what we did was we walked away from that meeting having got on and stayed in touch and came up with this non-mechanical method of stimulating swimming which is essentially to have a matrix of LEDs which flash on and off. Uh, to create a moving stimulus, which the fish respond to.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, so both of you are, in essence, quite sort of hardcore <laughs> academic research people, yeah? yeah? When you kind of came up with this idea, what part of you had an eye on the commercial aspect? I mean, presumably you, you had a very clear vision of the, the commercial um, prospects for this, this product.
1: Yes, I'd actually been involved in business for quite some time. I don't really want to be a full-time businessman, nor do I want to be a full-time academic, so I've kept mostly most of my time in business but a foot in academia for quite some time. Neil is, has been more of a hardcore academic, um, so we came up with this idea and actually we came up with it outside of the university. Mm, mm. And what we did was, we then assigned the IP to the university in order to gain quite a bit of funding. Um, you know, from uh, without any equity being taken or anything yeah. like that, we could just get some funding to develop it. So um, we then had uh, a two year, two and a half year project end up being um, developing it, and then we licensed it back out. So okay. that was always the plan. Yeah. Um, so it was developed within a university, and then we licensed it back out for commercialization.
0: Yeah. And you, you got something like 200 grand from Scottish Enterprise early yeah, on? Yeah, it was a t- quarter of a million pounds yeah. uh, in total, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So that's, that's the funding I was talking about, that we, by assigning the IP to the university, obviously with a, a
0: deal, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we were able to get that, realize that money from Scottish Enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, with any invention like this, IP and, and protecting your IP is a is a massive, massive issue. Yes. Uh, have you experienced in in business previously of, of of going through that patenting process? How 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 difficult or easy was that? And uh, what sort of practical advice would you give to to, to, to people developing these you know, kind of innovative products?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, my previous experience of business has been bringing new products to the market, but I joined the companies shortly before or shortly after they had developed the product, so it hasn 't been my product yeah. Previously, although you know, I, I like to join the team and yeah, yeah. think of it as mine, yeah. um, and and bringing it to the fish farmers and helping them. So I wasn't involved in the patenting process previously. This is my first time. Um, the patenting process um, began as part of the proof of concept project, which we yeah. got the money from Scottish Enterprise for. So that's a big part of that that you yeah. you you know get your IPR sorted out, and so that was done through the university's patent attorneys in discussion with ourselves, Neil wrote a lot of the um, original text which the patent attorney then turned into text, you know, legal speak, speak, but it it is a complicated area um, and you know, it's not as simple as one thinks from the outside because you, know, you get your national phase yeah. that, and then you go to this international phase and then you go back to national phase all over the place and we recently in June we got our European patent granted without any questions from the examiner which was fantastic but then you find out there's another phase, you've got to go into national validation in each country in Europe Yeah. And if you want to do it in all the countries, it costs £65,000. Um, so then, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you find
0: £65,000 or do you pick and choose? Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And what about kind of North American markets? Because presumably, I mean, fish farming um, as a market, if you get into sort of Canada, I suspect in particular, and the US, those are massive markets. Obviously. How did that go?
1: Yeah, so we, we have um, patent applications lodged in, in those markets uh, and other major markets for aquaculture. Um, but they're all still, we haven't, Got to the granting stage where they're in process the applications. Yeah. yeah.
0: So how long is the kind of whole patenting patenting process taken? The
1: first patent application, which was the UK one, was April 2005. Okay. Okay. So in June 2009, the first patent application was granted, which was Europe. Oh. We're still. The rest are still an application, and they keep costing money, etc., etc. So it's long. You need to have good advice on the language and the patent on what to do next when you're when there's something to do in terms of patent maintenance and management. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a it is a long and complicated process. I mean, a, the American patent we don't even have a filing number yet. So you know that yeah. was lodged quite some time ago. Yeah. It'll be years. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah.
0: Now all of this, of course, is going on whilst. Somehow, you've still got to fund development. I mean, quite apart from getting the legals all sorted, which is kind of a byproduct of the invention, and some would say a, an unpleasant byproduct, um, you've you, you know you've got to still develop it, work up the prototypes, get it you know tested and out there. Uh, have you have you sought further funding? How have you actually survived for these five years? Because at the moment, I guess you're not selling any product.
1: That's right. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I mean, we. We started out putting a, a bit of money in ourselves, of course, and got some grants um, sorted out—small um, grants um, from Scottish Enterprise again, kindly—and some other, you know, local council, Glasgow North Regeneration Agency, these sorts of mm-hmm. grants. Um, and uh, then we had uh, an investor all lined up, and you know. Obviously, a guy who knows how to look ahead, because back in January 08, when there was just the first jitter with the banks, he suddenly and apologetically withdrew his offer. Yeah. But funny, he said, Look, I'm really sorry, guys, nothing to do with your company, but I just can't go this way anymore. So suddenly, we, were, we had nothing. The system we had in the water wasn't working, and, you know, that's the point where one might walk away. It's the mm. point where Neil went to an academic position down <laughs> in New Zealand, strangely enough. He's a British guy, but, yeah. you know, I come yeah, from yeah, New yeah. Zealand, he's down there um, with, as an academic, and he's actually doing some work with Optuswim-type systems on new species, so that'll be our next okay. phase. So he's still yeah. involved in a way, but yeah. uh, he's employed at a yeah. university. So, um, uh, you know, then, we <laughs> then there was desperation, but a a customer, a future customer, um, uh, actually put some money on the table in support of us and uh, you know, they knew what situation we're in that we're a long way from product and said, Okay, mm. here's the money, your first three systems, come to us. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, that was that was a fantastic thing to have them do. Yeah. I've generally kept it kind of quiet from the market because they get very, very excited. Yeah. And you know, when you're that far from product, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, so we yeah. had that. We got a bit of investment from a, a business associate of mine that kept us going while I found a new investor, which you know I found a new investor. But you know, it put us back by a year or so, mm. just sort of mm-hmm. trundling along. And then we built a new design of system, put it in the water and got some finally got some results out of cages sort of um by about April 2009 so it was a long old haul yeah, you know yeah, that's yeah, yeah. just what how things can put you back along the way we've had more you know grants um Nesta gave us a grant of almost yeah, yeah. 10,000 pounds yes. towards intellectual property costs yeah. um, obviously the last night I um picked up a a cash prize from O2 which will be very very helpful and hoping to leverage money we've got in the bank now to Perhaps get a technology strategy board um, yeah, yeah. Yep. feasibility study project on the go. Um, submission dates tomorrow, so I need <laughs> okay. to work on that. Um, and we also have had a smart award lined up, um, yeah. but we uh, because of the the investor having pulled out, we missed that and had to reapply. So. Yeah. It's all in process. But it's always a case of looking yeah. around and finding sources. It's, that doesn't
0: really stop. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of the, uh, it's the, it's the, the skill of the entrepreneur, as it were, that kind of continual juggling, uh, but combined with what you clearly have, a, a, a phenomenal belief in the product. How does the product make money for your customers? What it
1: does, in terms of benefits... Is it, um, if you think of a person going to the gym every day as I talk about the fish um, it makes the fish grow faster if you go to the gym every day you're going to put on more muscle it's the muscle we eat yeah. in the fish yeah. it makes them grow more efficiently because more of the food is going into muscle that is the big selling point for the customers something we call FCR in the, in the industry food conversion ratio amount of food in for fish out yeah. if you can reduce that you reduce production cost yeah. 60% approximately of production cost is feed. Yeah. So if you can reduce that, you reduce production cost and they save money. Um, but there's also value and uh, reduced disease risk by getting the fish out earlier. We've shown a reduction in stress on the fish by measuring a stress okay. hormone in the blood yeah. if they're exercised. And so if you've got, that's better welfare. Mm. Um, but also if you reduce that stress hormone, we have it too, it's called cortisol. If you reduce that in the blood, your immune system works better, so less disease. Um, yeah. And then you've got better flesh quality, so yeah. premium product. The fish farmers win, yeah. but the fish wins also because of the better health and welfare. Yeah. Consumers win because they get a better product.
0: Yeah, Which sounds great. And the stress thing is quite interesting because superficially you think, well, all these flashing lights, aren't you, aren't you going to scare? If it's for a layman, you just think, aren't fish going to be stressed by this this, this, this kind of strange activity that's forcing them to do stuff.
1: Actually, as an academic nowadays, m- almost all my work is on fish welfare, strangely yeah, enough. Yeah. That is a big area for me, and so it's an interesting one. But you're quite right about this flashing lights and stress because we have put the system down with the wrong settings. Fish farmer called me within a day and said, you know, the fish are freaking out. Yeah, I need to turn the system off, sorry. and. Uh, and so we had, you know, that was fair enough. Of course, they have to turn it off in that situation. Yeah, yeah. So we had to go back there and put it right. The good thing was we knew they were getting a response. They obviously <laughs> could see the system. Yeah. It was just, it was the, even if it was the wrong response, it was a response. And that was the first time we knew they were responding to the system. Yeah. So it wasn't all bad news in a way. Yeah. And once we put the system right, we got a better
0: response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, the, the, the market is, is, is pretty huge. You presumably, um, in, in seeking investment, put together some fairly detailed um, business plans and so on and so forth. What do you see the kind of long term scale of this business in terms of you know, the, the, the potential revenues it could generate? The
1: market is, if you think of sea cages, our first, the market for our first product, uh, there's about 55,000 sea cages out there. If you think of that, the, the salmon market, and if you think about say fifteen thousand pounds per unit per cage, there's a, a market there of three hundred million pounds. Yeah. Um, and then it, it'll be a lower value market in the in the for the other thirty thousand cages because they're smaller cages, lower payback times. So you probably you know the total market's probably six hundred million.
0: Yeah. Well, I can see why you're holding faith for the big payout.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because of course you know as entrepreneurs. If it was just about the money, firstly we'd go into something else that's less risky. You know, become a trader, or you know, okay, recently that's been risky. But you know, that would have been a sure way to make lots of money. And you know, I've got friends who did that, and they have done made lots of money in a very different way. Um, You also see entrepreneurs who do make lots of money. They've got plenty of money, but they keep going. So it's not. there's a passion there, if you want, if you're just in it for the money, then probably do something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got to be passionate about what yeah. you're doing and yeah. really enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so that is part of what keeps me going. What drives me, I always wanted to help fish farmers, you know, and uh, um, doing that by, you know, bringing them technologies. Mm, and and mm-hmm. that's what I've been doing yeah. for 20 years, and this time it happens to be my own technology <laughs> rather than one that someone
0: else, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. devised, yeah. It's clear from talking to you that you kind of um, straddle the entrepreneurial and, and kind of university research world, which is quite rare, isn't it? I mean, normally, y- you know, these kind of concepts, you pe- people bring in, you know, business experts bring in people with entrepreneurial experience. How do you see yourself in that role? And, and, and do you find there's a conflict ever? Um, I think it 's probably
1: rare because people either think or find that there is a conflict because they in themselves perhaps don 't know what hat they 're wearing or they can only manage to wear one hat. but I you know moving between roles, I, I, can, I can manage it fine because I know what hat i 'm wearing, and the important thing is the person i 'm speaking to knows what hat i 'm wearing, not through me saying it, but yeah. um, because they know who they 're speaking to, but they know that I have both roles. They know when they're speaking to the businessman. They know when they're speaking to the biologist. And I think it increases credibility. Um, You know, people appreciate in the business world that I'm bringing biological knowledge along with with, um, business expertise. Um, I don't have any business training. It's more something I, I fell into and, and really enjoy. Maybe yeah. one day I'll get some business training <laughs> and become
0: become good at it. <laughs> well, let's I mean let's just to, just just think a bit of the sort of the stage after. Let's say you know the patents are all sorted, um, and you're starting to develop build product on a large scale. You know the markets uh, there uh, desperate to get their hands on it and increase their own margins. How do you see? developing a business beyond just you know you and your your partner? Yes what we foresee is
1: manufacturing will be all outsourced and assembly will be in-house so that we can take care of QC ensure that everything is done at least initially and then uh, so we would set up an assembly line um, of components that are coming in from outside Um, and those components would come from different Sources. We would do direct sales in Scotland, a market we know very well. I, I run three businesses as it happens, so I'm already selling someone else's product to them as we speak. You know, we're, I've yeah, got yeah. a team out there in, okay. it, in yeah, the yeah, field yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. We would do, use distributors in the other markets and, you know distributors we're all kind of friends in a way we see we know each other from trade shows we always like seeing each other so you know the distributors are all lined up already I mean verbally at least you know people very very interested so that's how we would have foreseen doing it what's happened recently there was a bit of a twist to that tale in that um last month a very large potential customer got wind of what was going on and you know, I suddenly I thought I was just at a drinks thing, and suddenly found myself in a boardroom, talking to them, and yeah. them saying, "We want eight systems now," <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, which is, you know, uh, as you said, you know, you just spoke of how small the company is. We we're not ready to do that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, what do you do? Do you say no and and leave it, let that opportunity pass, or do you find a different way? They're very very keen, keen enough. That they said, "Well." you know, why don't we do a a licensing deal? So that's a a route for commercialization that had been brought up in the past, but, you know, I'd never explored. I'd always thought we would go this other way, but now we're seriously exploring with that customer having a a third party who was, you know, potential future distributor anyway, one of these people, um, as a licensee manufacturer, which is a a whole different route to commercialization. Yeah. Yeah possibly a more efficient route to
0: commercialization.
1: Much, yeah. much much more efficient and um, so, you know, it's quite exciting yeah, times yeah, yeah. To, be, yeah. to be starting to talk in that direction.
0: Well, wearing, wearing both hats of simultaneously, uh, one, last, one last question. There are a lot of big universities, you know, Glasgow, Oxford, Cambridge, and a whole load of others that have um, young people in there researching innovative ideas who may be thinking, I oh, mate, this may have some commercial um, you know, viability. What's your advice to those those young potential University entrepreneur? Firstly, there's um, to seek out the networks that are around for those kind of people that
1: didn't exist when I was at university. Nesta does programs for that. There's local um, enterprise company programs for those kind of people, and they should get involved with those because that's really, really useful. You get good advice, you meet other people who are like minded, thinking in the same way but with a different technology, um, and it just helps with your confidence. The other thing is, you know, you've got your research and enterprise department in your university that you have to do everything through, unless you're a student. I believe students own their their IP, so they could just take it. But if you're an employee, you have to go through the research and enterprise um, division of the university and what I would say is be very, very wary. Don't let them tell you the deals are fixed. Don't let them dictate the way things go. Uh, make sure you get good external advice before you agree to anything with them Mm. and um, stick to your guns, be passionate and follow it through.
0: So there we are. Thanks ever so much to Sunil Kadri at OptoSwim there. A worthy winner, I think, of the O2X Awards this year and uh, a terrific insight into him and his technology and the way that you can... Pull something from a a university research idea and commercialize it on the outside world. Really inspiring stuff. So thanks again, Sunil. Now, uh, just before we go straight into a really, really fantastic track, a piece of music that's a little bit different. So a lot of you out there will enjoy it, I've no doubt. I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of you who have joined the Small Biz Pod Facebook group. Over 2,600 of you now, and if you want to head over to the Facebook group and join, it would be great to see you there. Lots of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and people thinking about starting up, so a great place to hang out and share some ideas uh... Yep. so if you click on the facebook button on the smallbizpod homepage you can head there be good to see you and um... also if you're into contributing your own business knowledge then check out SmallbizPod sevens. Uh, over a hundred, well, just about a hundred people there now contributing seven tips, nice and quick and easy to write. Seven tips on uh, business topics and advice that they know well. Chance for you to contribute and a chance for you to raise your profile as well on the SmallbizPod site. So, all that said, let's go straight now to this uh, piece of music. Which is uh, by a band called the Phenomenal Handclap Band, which deserve airtime just for the just for their name. And this is a track called "15 to 20," featuring Lady Tigra, and uh, it's with thanks to Iota Promenade as usual.
2: in the we're speaking loud.